You're listening to the Legend Vest Podcast for Entrepreneurs. Whether you're just getting started or been in business for many years, we take a deep dive into what it takes to truly become successful. It's time to level up your business and your personal life. Now, please welcome your hosts, Jameson and Courtney Gap. What's up, legends? All right, so I am back in the studio and I have another phenomenal episode for you. So today I want to talk about a company which in many ways I have a personal relationship with. A company which was arguably the pioneer of disruption for mobile phones. A company in the 90s which became a 20 billion dollar company in literally under a decade. Only five years later, it's only at three billion dollars. Folks, this is the Legend Vest Podcast. This is yours truly, Jameson Gavin, and this is where we teach you how to invest in yourself and how to become a legend. So today's business case study is on BlackBerry. You see, BlackBerry is a line of smartphones tablets and services originally designed and marketed by a Canadian company called BlackBerry Limited. You may know them. I know when uh, I've actually had business uh, endeavors and things with BlackBerry, I actually used to work on BlackBerry devices. Um, They were formerly known as RIM or Research in Motion. And they were really a phenomenal, phenomenal company. These are, uh, this is actually one of the companies where I would actually say is one of my favorite companies ever in history. Um, and for a lot of different reasons, I really like a lot of things that Mike has done as a CEO of the organization. Uh, I really like a lot of things that, um, that they got into and the innovations that they saw. And I really like a lot of the leadership that they had in the early days. And I want to specify the early days. A lot of things changed. And t- in today's episode, I want to go a little bit into just that. So you can understand you know, why BlackBerry failed and how you need to navigate your business a little bit different uh, so you don't actually fall into these same pitfalls and gaps. As we know, most of our listeners are entrepreneurs and business owners. So I want you to think for one second, what technology has disrupted your everyday life more than the mobile phone? Think about it. What everyday technology like around you right now you look around in your room you know you're at the office you're in the car wherever look around right now and just think about what has literally disrupted your everyday life more than the mobile phone you know so uh, i was born in the 80s and i am a millennial and i can recall a time where i didn't have a mobile phone on me like any day like not even a week, a month, a year. You know, I can recall that. You know, kids today, like my son, I mean, my son is not even two years old and I have a, he has a phone. It, it's it's not a active, you know, on a carrier. It's just one of my old phones that I have that he can just watch some, some shows on, you know, we're going out to eat. However, he has a, access to a mobile phone. And so he will probably never recall a day where he doesn't have access to a phone. And when you look at it, the only things that come close to my mind where technology was that innovative, that changed things like that, were light bulbs or TVs or 
even the motor vehicle, just motor vehicles in general. So when we look at mobile devices, I mean, it has been a massive, I think even the word massive is understating how effective the mobile device industry has affected our everyday life. You know, there was a time when we lived without mobile phones. However, the average human being alive today, I mean, you try it. Try to go six hours without picking up a mobile device. If you're a business owner or, or entrepreneur, that is extremely hard. That is extremely difficult. Even if you are an employee, try to go six hours on a regular business week or regular business day without picking up your, mo- your mobile phone. I argue the BlackBerry changed this this whole mobile phone era and this technology to what we see today more than the iPhone. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the critics. I argue that it's changed more. The BlackBerry has changed more than the iPhone or the Palm. Yeah, you remember the Palm, that old device that basically it just synced a calendar uh, or, you know, handled your Rolodex. Uh, and I guess I, I need to rephrase that because I am a millennial, but, you know, I have some uh, some old heads around me. So a Rolodex for people who don't know what a Rolodex is, is basically just a contact list, you know, for your mobile contact. So people hold that have uh, their phone numbers and their contact information. So we're going to get right into it, folks. Mike Lazaridis. L-A-Z-A-R-I-D-I-S. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce his last name, but we're just going to call him Mike. He's the founder of REM, which is, again, Research in, in Motion. Is a very smart guy, and I think that he sees the mobile phone industry a little bit different than, than all of the other CEOs back then. So one of the things that he's quoted in saying in a conference is, what if we create this kind of arced keyboard where you could use opposable thumbs? You see, this is where the idea of innovation birthed, and we see the foundation of BlackBerry, which was the phenomenal idea of having an external keyboard that can be accessed along with a mobile device screen. You see, before this, we all know like the Nokias and you know some of the smaller phones. They we had these these phones that didn't have this truly external QWERTY keyboard, like from your laptop attached to a phone and so it really allowed people in business sectors and corporations to truly basically just transfer uh, a laptop to their phone and it basically mitigated and brought together that gap and in the early days mike navigated rim through countless countless obstacles some which nearly destroyed the company in a whole one of my favorite stories of Mike is how he is seeing so much success in companies coming in to buy him. You know, they're, they're companies that are dropping him, you know, serious digits and basically saying, hey, we will buy you for this amount. Uh, and he decides to hold off. And then a company called U.S. Robotics comes to him with a enormous order for um, for Blackberries, making him jump through the roof in excitement. I know when I've had huge orders come through the door, um, you know, or or big contracts come in and just the excitement. I, I mean, I recall one recently and uh, I got a call from someone and I had been working on this account for years and I got a call from them uh, and they just I mean, it was just I, I, I'm not going to say I gave up on it, but I definitely kind of forgot about it. Um, and I got a call and the person goes, hey, 
do you remember me? And I'm like, of course I remember you. Your name is very distinctive. And, um, and I just remember after the call, I mean, I literally just like, like almost threw my desk over to the other side of the wall because I was just so excited. And I'm, and I just jumping around in my office, you know, I mean, it was just so, so excited. So I imagine that he was going through the same, the same thing. And then what happens is U.S. US Robotics pulls out after he's already begun to build their order, literally almost bankrupting the company. And so for your company, for your business, I encourage you when you receive orders is you need to receive an amount of payment up front, especially on large orders. So if you, for example, have an order and you are a new company, you know, you're a young organization and someone says, hey, you know, this is awesome. We want to buy a gazillion of these products or whatever. You need to say, hey, okay, I understand that, but I need to level what you hear, right? You understand I'm a new company. In order to fulfill this requirement, this is a very big undertaking. So you're going to have to give me some sort of down payment. If they're not comfortable with that down payment, you can either one, go and get additional funding, right? So you're not pulling that out of your own your own hat. Or you talk to them and you become creative of other ways in which they can do a down payment. And there are other creative ways. And if you don't know some other ones, reach out to me. Let me know what you got going on. And there are some creative ways where you can have a company still pay for the product creatively without giving you that cash up front. You see, so I love who Ram was in the early days. I mentioned that before. In the latter days, like most recently, you know, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but in the early days, I absolutely love whom they were. It reminds me of how I build companies. And companies, I've exited through acquisitions. Um, their marketing was swift. Their sales, guerrilla. Strategy, innovation through low cost. Growth, organic word of mouth. These are the ways that I build companies. Absolutely love all of these things that, I'm, that I've been researching and hearing about RIM and, and what I know about BlackBerry. So how does this company, which is built how I built companies, eventually fail so bad, right? So I'm here on LegendVest teaching you how to build companies, teaching you how to uh, how to invest in yourself and how to become a legend, how to understand business acumen and how to handle your day-to-day strategies in your organization. So how does a company built how I would build a company fail so bad, right? You may say it was failure to innovate. That's what you're probably going to say. You're probably going to say, well, BlackBerry, you know, they weren't innovative. They, they, they failed to innovate. Uh, but I don't label RIM with this. I actually label them in the category of poor vision. You see, failure to innovate is having the vision but choosing not to innovate, right? So seeing where it's going, right? Seeing what could be, seeing, okay, this person's on my team telling me this, this person's telling me this, this person's telling me this, you know? And then not doing that failure to actually make the decision to innovate, choosing to, you know, to stay where you are. Kodak actually was more failure to innovate. Okay, BlackBerry is not categorizing failure to innovate. They are categorized in more of the poor vision. You see, when the iPhone came out in 2007, we all know it was a huge hit. However, let's not forget BlackBerry was cooking with flipping grease in 2007 and Mike the CEO Mike was running a company with a growth rate of 25% per 
quarter. That is, that's out of the flipping world, ladies and gentlemen. 25% growth rate a quarter is crazy. 25% a quarter, that is unbelievable. The growth 25% a quarter, a lot of the, I wouldn't say a lot, but the past three businesses that I've been able to to be the CEO of, we were growing at like 35, uh, like 70%. I think one year we did like 200%. The next year we did 300%. So I mean like, you know, we're, we're somewhere between there, but 25% a quarter at these numbers is, is, is like ridiculous, right? The numbers that, that the businesses that I've been, you know, that I was able to grow at 200, 300%, I mean, these were million dollar businesses. These were not billion dollar businesses. That That's quite significant. And so when you look at that, the issue comes as mobile devices are dependent on the networks they access. When Apple pushes an exclusive with AT&T for five years and promises that the phone will handle heavy data tasks, BlackBerry execs basically swear, this is this can't happen. This is impossible. This is not possible. Nope, Apple can't do it. And we know, you know, and, and I know because I had Apple stock, is Apple actually did fail in the early days. However, I think that they understood where technology was going and that if we can go ahead and plant our feet here today, you know, it's, it's the famous quote. I, I tell Courtney this all the time. You know, it's the famous Wayne Gretzky's, uh, Wayne Gretzky quote, you know, and they say, well, why were you successful? And he says, you know, because I skated to where the puck was going. Right. And not where the puck is at. If you can go ahead and plan yourself and plant your feet where you need to be when the puck gets there. It's an easy slam dunk. It's an easy one, two, and it's in the hoop, right? So you, you look at what Apple did. Apple was, they saw the success of BlackBerry. And then Steve Jobs says, I want to be in this game. I want to be in this industry. So let me go ahead and select, let me get the, the right people on the bus. Let me get this exclusive with AT&T, which creates demand, right? Exclusive demand. So he created from the get-go, and I'm not trying to do, because we already did one about Apple, uh, but, you know, he creates an exclusive with AT&T, which makes all the other carriers what? They get jelly, right? They they want peanut butter and they're jelly. They, they get a little jealous. And so now you have an exclusive where everybody now wants to jump to AT&T just to get on the iPhone. Right. So then you got all these other firms. They are pivoting and trying to figure out what can they do. Google secretly is creating something. We're going to do one on Android as well, but actually about the success and failures of Android because they've had a lot of successes and failures. However, you know, Google is working on two. They're working on two things anyway. They're working on a, on a phone that was also very similar to the BlackBerry with an external QWERTY keyboard. OK. And then they're also working on a screen to screen phone like the iPhone. So what do they do when they hear Steve Jobs has this plan, he, do, he runs with AT&T, et cetera? Google does the correct thing. They did what BlackBerry failed to do. And what was that? That was they canned the external QWERTY keyboard because they saw the demand and the feedback from the screen-to-screen -screen phone with all of this data accessibility, all of this, uh, the cool devices and, and, and beautiful design, then they say, 
We're going to can that and we're, now we're going to come over and we're going to make the exact same screen to screen, keyboard is actually on the screen, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they bring what needs to happen. You see, a lot of times people in business, they try to compete head to head, head to head. Why would you want to compete head to head with somebody? That you don't want to compete head to head. Everybody's talking, you know, competition is good. I, I, I beg to differ. Is it, competition is good for who? Sometimes maybe the consumer, but for you as the entrepreneur, the business owner, competition is not always good. It, it, it just isn't, right? And so when you're coming and you have to compete, you have to have a set of skills that differentiates yourself against the other offering. So Google decides we're going to play this game, but we're going to play it a little bit different. And we're going to come into the game and we're going to offer the Android platform free, free to different mobile device manufacturers. So we're going to play the game a little bit different. Okay. And that is one of the main reasons why Android has, that is the, not the, not the one of the main, that is the main reason Android has been successful. It's because they've been able to allow manufacturers to focus on their hardware while Android focuses on the software, pushes out those softwares free to those users, and then is able to make income via ancillary services. You see, it's a beautiful process where BlackBerry was stuck in a way. Not failure to innovate, but poor vision. Because they had the opportunity. So the vision would be they did not believe that the AT&Ts, the Verizons, the Sprints, the T-Mobiles, that they could figure out a way to get data that was continuously transmitting in large files over in via networks. It was always constrictive before this. Even during that time, like I said, those two years after the iPhone first launched, there were serious issues and hiccups with the networks. The networks were dropping and things were going on. People love those iPhones. They love the design. And then the networks figured it out. And that was the vision that BlackBerry, that Mike, the executive teams, that they were not able to see. It's important for you as a leader to make sure that your vision is always principle. Because as the leader, when you're high up, you get to see way out. You get to see things in a different point of view, a top-down view, where people who are lower may not be able to see. And so if you can see from a high-level perspective, you can see further out. You see, when you're high up on the mountain or you live in a high-rise community, and you're on the 100th floor, you can see so far out. You can see the weather patterns changing. You know, we in one of our homes in Orlando, we're up high, high up on a, in a high rise, right? And, we, and I could see the weather changing in different directions. So I would go play soccer, you know, over. Uh, I would go after I graduated, go play pickup soccer back at my college uh, with some buddies. And I could actually see the weather, you know, way out in the distance, you know, like just I, I could see where it was forming on the ground. It was just sunny. So if you were standing on the ground, you couldn't really see what's going on. But high up, you can see the vision. So as a leader, you have to make sure that your vision is clear, that you're looking in all directions, that you are consulting with different individuals, that you just don't believe what you believe. That that that's one of the mistakes that a lot of leaders make. They focus on just what they believe. They don't actually 
go and seek other opinions, other ideas, other visions of other people to see, okay, well, this person thinks this way, this person thinks this way, and then able to see and place the pieces together. You see, Steve Jobs was able to do that. He saw what were the hindrances of a vision that he had of an iPhone that had to work well with a carrier. He saw that vision. He saw the hiccups. And so he goes to AT&T. He probably went to other companies before this. I don't know if AT&T was his one-stop shop, and that's where he liked the most. I'm not sure. But what I do know is he worked out the restraints and the restrictions with the carrier and said, if we do this together, we will both profit substantially. And that's exactly what happened. So ever since that mistake, BlackBerry was behind the eight ball. However, BlackBerry could have recovered because their sales continue to grow. So I want to just read you a chart really quick, and I'll ask Courtney to put this on the website, but this is just phenomenal to me. So if we look at like number of units sold, right? Uh, so, so actually, let's look at sales first, okay? Then this is from Statista, okay? There's a, um, a, a statistics website, okay? We look at 2007, okay? We just talked about 2007, iPhone coming out, okay? BlackBerry was around like nine, 9 million smartphones sold of devices, okay? 2008, they're around 15. 2009, we're just going to say 25, okay? 2010, 40 million. Look at this, folks. 40 million of your puppies sold. You could sell them puppies for $1, $40 million. Wham, bam. Okay, and they weren't selling them for $1. Okay, 2011 was the peak. They sold a little over 50 million BlackBerry smartphones. So from 2007 to 2011, what the F is going on? What the F is going on? What's going on here is you got a hockey puck curve that just looks flipping phenomenal. That looks like, man, I wish I would have invested like in 2006, holy flipping moly. And then it goes up to 2011 and it's at 50 million. So you go from 2007 to around like probably somewhere, because it's, it's a graph, so I can't see the exact number, but it's under 10 million. So it's probably like around 8 million. You go from 8 million all the way up to right over 50 million in like four years, ladies and gentlemen. It, that is just unbelievable. So do I fault them for not seeing this? Yes. Do I say, you know, like, I mean, I don't, I, I fault them because he's the CEO and you have to be able to have that vision. But at the same time, like, I mean, what a, what a whirlwind, what a whirlwind of financial success during that time. And then from 2011 to 2016, we're at 4 million, ladies and gentlemen. It's pretty sad. So you go from uh, right above 50 million to um, 4 million in 2016. So smartphones sales by year. And this is going to be Android, iOS, Blackbird. Now, what we see for Android, Android is at 1.2 mil thousand millions of devices. And this is excluding Windows and others, okay? which is phenomenal. They are well above the curve. iOS is sitting at about 200 millions of devices, while BlackBerry is pretty low, 
and they have yet to to go up in the past uh, six years. So, ladies and gentlemen, when we look at all of this, what I want you to focus on as a leader is increasing your vision, understanding that where you are today is not where you will be tomorrow. And if a story needs to be heard about success and maintaining vision through enormous success, the story is a blackberry. Though the numbers were great, though the parties I'm sure were insane, though you could buy everything you could probably ever imagine during that time from 2007 to 2000 mother flipping 11, the world was probably perfect to all of the executives at BlackBerry. Remember, in just two to five years, poor vision can destroy everything. Whatever you're doing in your life right now, look at how you view things. Look at what you're planning for, for the future, and where you see things today. Poor vision will destroy an organization that is thriving, and it will destroy an organization that has the potential for growth. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure that you like subscribe, and share this content. We are doing this podcast for you, for the people, so you can understand how to invest in yourself and how to become a legend. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jamison Gavin, and thank you once again for listening.